Our scripture this morning is John 4, verses 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went up to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John. Why was that book written? Well, John tells us that in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. We're talking about the making of faith this weekend, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. We're looking at verses 46 through 54. Those were the verses that were just read. Also grab your sermon notes out. Look at the intro on that. Have you ever watched someone go through terrible suffering with an unshakable faith and wish you had their faith? Anybody? You watch someone suffering and you go, oh my goodness, they have unshakable faith. I've, I've watched a number of people do that, and, uh, and you've, if you've wished that you had their faith, well, actually, you do. Everyone lives by faith, even atheists. Everyone lives by faith, even atheists. It really comes down to what are you putting your faith into. The only difference is where are you putting your faith? Everybody's betting on something. Everybody's hoping in something. You can't live without hope or meaning or, or putting your happiness in something. Everybody does it on this planet Earth. It's just a matter of what are you putting it in. And so here's the thesis statement for uh, this weekend's message. You can see there on your notes, we're talking about faith. We're obviously talking about faith in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? And so faith learns the truth, is convinced of the truth, acts on the truth, and is matured in suffering. You can see that's how that works its way out. The text is helping us to see that really clearly. So let's take that first one. First, faith learns the truth. It has to do with our thinking or our head. There's content to our faith. Let me read verses 46 and 47. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee. This is Jesus and his disciples, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. A little background here before we move on. His Capernaum was about 25 miles from Galilee, so this guy hiked 25 miles to see Jesus. Anybody ever run a marathon here? Marathon runners? Okay. Not very many. We're going to talk about health next week, okay? 
The importance of running and exercising and things like that. Just kidding. But, uh, but no, this 25 miles, 25 miles, this guy went to see Jesus. Now, he's an official, and what that means in this culture is he was a very powerful, educated, wealthy, high-ranking political leader. And this official had an obvious deep love for his little boy who is sick and dying. Now, put yourself in this story just for a moment. There is nothing more difficult than to watch a child suffer and die. There's nothing more difficult. And I believe it's a parent's worst nightmare to lose a child. We've had a few in our congregation that have lost children. I'm telling you, that's devastating. Those are really hard funerals. And this is what this man is, is, is experiencing with the possibility of the loss of his child. And every parent I know would be willing to take the place of their child in suffering and death. Uh, when I uh, went through my paramedic training on, with Phoenix Fire is that one of the areas uh, for clinicals, I had to do clinicals at Children's Hospital in the ICU. That's really a difficult place to be with these little kids with tubes and IVs and all of that. And you look in the eyes of the parents there, they, they seem so desperate and so anxious and wondering, is my child going to make it? Is What's going to happen? And this is the situation that this guy is facing here. He's a very powerful man, but his power can't heal his son. He's a very educated man, but his education can't heal his son. He's extremely wealthy, but his wealth can't heal his son. This man has a God-sized problem. Now, this is what I've discovered in my own suffering, and I'm sure what he's what he was experiencing at this time, and, and, and in time you'll experience this too, and you'll, uh, you'll see this in suffering. Suffering helps us to see that not only, not only that we are not in control of our lives, suffering shows us that we are not in control of our lives, but, but we never were in control of our lives. That's what suffering does. It helps us to see that and understand that. Very little do we really control in our lives until we face suffering. And that's what he's experiencing. So let's talk about this. First, faith learns the truth. Let me give you the next fill in the blank. So faith always begins with facts. Faith always begins with facts. Verse 47. So obviously this guy had heard something about Jesus. And he believes that Jesus can heal his son. So he's coming with some information that someone has passed on to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has some facts about Jesus. And a faith always begins with facts. It, becomes, it begins with thinking. The foundation is thinking. And remember our story last week? Uh, a woman at the well, she encountered the Messiah. She was so, ex so excited that she left her water jar there and went into the town and began to tell everybody about Jesus. This is what it says, John 4, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. What was she sharing? Facts. I've encountered the Messiah. This is who he is. He knows everything about me. And so faith always begins with facts. Here's the next thought on your notes. Faith is not a feeling, a force, or a formula, but fellowship with Christ Jesus. We get this crazy notion, this crazy idea, and there is some really bad teaching in our culture today that somehow faith, faith is, a, is a feeling or a force or a formula. Just work the formula and you'll get God to do what you want him to do. That's not true. Now, faith is about a relationship with God. It tells us in Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. Your hope is in Christ Jesus. In fact, what are the facts? The facts are 
really about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes people say, well, I believe in Jesus, and I want to immediately ask them, so what is it that you believe about in Jesus? There's some facts, there's content to our faith. So what are the facts? What do you believe? Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see. It goes beyond your five senses. Then he goes on in that and says, Hebrews 11, uh, 11, 6, he says, uh, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so it's... uh, that's part of that is that if you want to come to him, you must believe that he exists. That's the first part. There are people that say that, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that he exists. But it's more than that. It goes much deeper. You begin to diligently seek him. You learn things about God. There are some facts about God that you need to know. And, and in fact, this is what I've discovered is that the more you learn about him, the more you get to know him, the more you enter into relationship with him, the more you trust him and the more you love him. Oftentimes when people are struggling with, man, I'm just really struggling with trusting God. This is really hard. This is difficult. And I say, hey, I understand. But you're not going to be able to muster up that, that faith some way by trying harder or, or whatever it is. No, it comes as a result of spending time with him. To know God, you must give time to him. And as you get to know him, <laughs> believe me, you will trust him. How many have ever met someone that the more you got to know them, the less you trusted them? Show of hands. <laughs> oh, boy, don't trust them. But it's not the same with Jesus. The more you get to know him, the more you spend time with him. Faith is a relationship with God. And the more you will begin to trust him. It tells us in Psalm 9 and 10, Psalm 9, 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know his name know. It's not just... uh, intellect it's not just information it's intimacy those who know his name name character those who know his name will trust in him what's the natural response of knowing him trust in him because he has never forsaken those who seek him so trusting him and seeking him are one and the same but that comes in knowing him knowing him trusting him seeking him all goes together So faith always begins with facts. Faith is not a feeling, force, or formula. It's fellowship with God. Here's the next one. Faith is developed by reasoning, thinking out the facts. Faith is developed by reasoning, thinking out the facts. So your doctor says you need a surgery, and he can do it. Are you going to get the surgery or not? It takes faith. Now, if you've known the doctor for decades, he's got a lot of credibility. You'll probably get the surgery from him. But if you haven't, you'll probably get a second opinion. And you'll even begin to ask your family and friends or those that have had this surgery, what are you doing? Well, you're studying, you're thinking, you're getting evidence. You are growing your faith to find a doctor and get the surgery. This is what you need to keep in mind as it relates to the Christian faith. Christian faith is never, listen to me, it's never divorced from reason. The Christian faith is not a blind leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. Always a step into the light. It is intelligent, sensible, and reasonable. The Christian faith is evidential. It's historical. It's factual. That's the Christian faith. In fact, it tells us in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, 
mind your intellect. Listen, when you come in here on weekend services, don't check your brains at the door. Come in here ready to think. Think out the implications of your faith and all that God is. The Christian faith is intelligent, sensible, reasonable. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything and hold on to that which is good. What does it mean to test everything? Use your old noggin. Think about it. Test everything and hold on to that which is good. Here's another verse. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The reason? The word reason is we get the word, the, the Greek word is apologia, where we get the word apologetics, which means to give a defense for the faith. It's, it's talking about reason. Give the reason. Why do you have hope? Well, I've got evidence. I know Jesus. He, he's God. He came to this earth. He rescued me. He loves me. He's redeemed me. To use your brain. So let's say that on the day of the surgery, you are overwhelmed with questions, doubts, and fears, and you feel like you can't go through with the surgery. Why is that? Well, you've lost your faith. So how did you lose your faith? Did you get more information that shows you it wasn't a good idea? Not typically. No, no, what happened was that you lost your faith because you stopped thinking and started reacting. That's oftentimes how we lose our faith. We start reacting to the circumstances rather than thinking out the implications of what we have in Christ Jesus. So what is the difference between doubt and faith? Now, now let's, let's talk about this just for a minute. So you got faith, you got faith here on this side, you got unbelief over here, and somewhere in between this is doubt. Now, doubt is not a bad thing. In fact, a, uh, a faith that is not challenged by doubt is going to be a weak faith. So it's okay to have doubt that challenges your faith. But certainly that doubt can either push you toward faith or it can push you away from faith to unbelief. So it really comes down to how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond with that doubt? So what is the difference between Doubt and faith. Doubt is listening to your heart, and faith is talking to your heart. Doubt is listening to your heart. Faith is talking to your heart. Think about that. Anybody here talk to yourself when you're going down the road? Okay. You guys are psychotic. Okay, no, you're not. Actually, everybody does. We have, we have self-talk going on all the time. The, the problem is, is that too often we listen to ourselves too much rather than talk to ourselves. The Bible talks a lot about talking to ourselves. In fact, let me give you an example of that. Psalm 42, verses 5, 11, and then verse 43, 5. These are all the same verse. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So what is the psalmist doing? The psalmist is talking to himself. He's not listening to himself. If he's listening to himself, he's just like, yeah, I'm downcast. Oh, man, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, look at these circumstances. What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. Oh. He's, if he's listening to himself, it's going to drive him deeper into doubt and, and probably ultimately into unbelief. But he begins to speak to himself. It's almost like he's grabbed himself by the shirt collar and says, come on. Come on, Sal. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. Some of you 
And you know, you know who you are. You struggle with this. You listen to yourself way too much, and you just lay down and take it. Don't take it anymore. You're going to let the enemy just beat the heck out of you? You're going to let all the negativity of our culture just get the best of you? Man, get back up. you got to fight. you got to fight. you got to start preaching the gospel to yourself. you got to grab yourself by the shirt collar and say, come on. Why are you downcast on my soul? Why, why are you in turmoil with me? Put your hope in God. Come on, soul. And then you probably also need a few folks that are doing the same thing to you. They grab you by the shirt collar. Why are you thinking like that? Man, God's for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. No one loves you like him. You think he's going to abandon you now? No. No. We need to hear that. We need to hear that week in and week out. That's why we gather. That's why we hang out in small groups. That's why we study God's word and pray. Because we need to be reminded of that. We need to be thinking out the implications. Faith is, is developed by reasoning, thinking out, out the facts. Faith is not the absence of questions, doubts, and fears. So oftentimes we think, well, if I just had more faith, I wouldn't have any questions, doubts, and fears. No, no, no. No, it's not the absence of questions, doubts, and fears, but it's bringing your questions, doubts, and fears to God. It's bringing them to Him. Listen, that's faith. In the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. <laughs> I mean, there's, that's raw emotion. I mean, it's just packed full of the psalmist with questions, doubts, and fears. Questions, doubts, and fears. What is he doing? He's bringing them to God, bringing them to God. That's faith. That's, the, that's really the foundation. The foundation of faith is thinking. And so... Faith learns the truth. Here's the second one. Faith is convinced of the truth. So we put our faith in Christ so it learns the truth and it's convinced of the truth. So you got faith is truth entering the head, igniting the heart. So it's head, heart, it's content, conviction. So listen to what uh, so we continue back in our story here. Uh, verse 48 and 49. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So he's talking to, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to this man, this official who said, man, Jesus, if you just come, you can, you can heal my son. He's about to die. It almost sounds like Jesus is scolding him. But actually, when you study this, the Greek actually says that the words you, two of them there, are plural. So he's not just talking to this man, but he's talking to everybody that's listening. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, which was very common in those days. A lot of people come and flocked around Jesus and loved the signs and wonders. Very few actually believed in Jesus. And, and that was what he was calling out. He's just saying, yeah, you like all the signs and wonders, but are you going to put your faith in me? Do you really believe in me? And notice the response of this official. Even after Jesus said that, the official said to him, sir, sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, he's convinced that if Jesus shows up in his home, prays for his son, his son will be healed Sir, come down before my child dies. There's that, he's convinced. So, so this man had information about Jesus. He's now encountered Jesus. He's asked Jesus, come and heal my son. And Jesus almost kind of puts him off a little bit. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And he says, no, no, if you would just come. I'm, I'm convinced that you, that you could heal him. That's faith is convinced of the truth. And so here's... Here's the next, uh, next 
fill in the blank on your notes as it relates to faith is convinced of the truth. You can't have faith without facts. So you got to have facts. I mean, what is it that we believe about God and what, what is it that we believe about Jesus? There's facts to that. You need to know those facts. But you can have facts without faith. I mean, you can really know a lot about God and not know God. In fact, I think that most of us here probably know, know a lot about God and we're not maybe living up to the level of our knowledge of God. You know what I'm saying? We're not experiencing to that degree that we know about God. So you can have facts without faith. Hosea 6.6. 6. Prophet Hosea speaking to the people for God. He's also speaking to us. Listen to what he says. I desire, this is God speaking to us, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So what would be, how would we relate to that? Because we don't do sacrifices, we don't do burnt offerings, but yeah, we come to church, we read our Bible, we study, we worship, we do all those things, so that would be somewhat similar. That was part of their worship service. So you can come to church, read your Bible, pray, study, we can sing songs, even do it daily and not know God. And this is what God is saying to you this morning. This is what he's saying to all of us. I want you to know me. I want you to have intimate relationship with me. Do you hear the, the heart of God? Isn't that amazing? He's not up there cracking a whip and saying, no, I want your sacrifices. I want all these things. No, no, no. Our worship, our gathering together, our putting money in the box, our gathering in small groups, our study of the Bible is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. He wants our love. What does God want from me? Your love. Give him your love, your heart. It's, it's about a relationship with him. It's not going through the motions. Oh, I went to church this morning. What are we going to do now? Let's go out to eat. Uh, you know, check the box. Don't check the box. Don't check your brains at the door, and don't check the box when you come in here. Get to know Jesus. Oh my goodness, there's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better than knowing him and experiencing him. God is saying, I desire steadfast love. I want your love. Oh my goodness. Nothing better. There's nothing I enjoy more than experiencing his love for me and me telling him how much I love him. It's, it's really the best part of my day, early in the morning and then even throughout the day as I learn to practice his presence. His love and growing in my intimacy with him, knowing him, intimate relationship with God. That's the essence of the Christian life. That's what God is asking us. That's what I want from you. That's what I want for you. Nothing will satisfy you more than this intimate relationship with me. And so, faith is more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds, exceeds all appetites. It exceeds your appetite for food, exceeds your appetite for sports, it exceeds your appetite for anything. <laughs> whatever it is, whatever you really long for and desire in creation, he's more satisfying, the creator. He, he wants to satisfy you. In fact, that's just a, a gift from God and a pointer ultimately back to him. And he can satisfy that deep longing in our soul. That's what we, we gather together to remind ourselves of. 
Faith is more than agreement with facts on the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all appetites. Here's the next, next point in your notes. So we're talking about faith is convinced of the truth. You can't have faith without facts, but you can have facts without faith. As you gather the evidence, you are convinced that this is the right decision. So as you're gathering evidence about Christ, you realize, man, I'm, I'm following him. I'm knowing him. I can trust him. And so 2 Timothy 1.20, or uh, 2 Timothy 1.12, now keep in mind, 2 Timothy, last uh, letter of Paul, he's about ready to be murdered, martyred for his faith. He's going to be executed. He's gonna, they're going to cut his head off. He's in, in extreme suffering. And this is what he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. What is he saying? I have an intimate relation with him. I know him. I know him, not just information about him. There's intimacy with him. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced, there it is, not just information. He's convinced that he is able to guard until that day, until he brings me home, what has been entrusted to me. I'm on mission I'm doing this for him. I'm knowing him and I'm making him known, but he's going to take me all the way home. That's what he's saying. Now, now let me give you another illustration of this. Let's, let's uh, make it practical, more practical to some of your lives. How do you develop enough faith in somebody to marry them? How do you develop enough faith in somebody to marry them? I know this is what happened to me. About 45 years ago, I was uh, leading a, a youth group, 23rd Avenue in Camelback, Westwood Assembly of God Church, and in walked this young gal. And she was absolutely gorgeous. I, I like, whoa, man, I didn't quite do that when she walked in, but I was like, in my heart, I was like, whoa. It's like, I don't need to know any more about her. She's the one for me. We're going to get married. Two weeks later, we got married. No, you guys are like, no, he didn't. <laughs> How many would think that would be really dumb? Okay. Okay, some of you didn't raise your hand on that. You're thinking like, oh, yeah, praise God, that's wonderful. <laughs> I've, I've actually talked to people that have done that. And I didn't go, praise God, that's wonderful. I go, what were you thinking? And there's nothing wrong with being physically attracted to somebody. But if you, but if you build your life, by the way, and let me ask you this question. Do you, believe that, do you believe in love at first sight? Anybody believe in love at first sight? Love at first sight. Okay. Okay. I believe in lust at first sight. But no, actually, there's nothing wrong with having that first sight. Maybe that's happened to you. But there was more to it. You didn't build your, your relationship on that first attraction. I hope you didn't. Because building your relationship just on that first initial attraction is not probably a good, stable a foundation. No, I know what was for me, and obviously I'm talking about my, my wife, is that uh, I, I wanted, I had to spend some time with her. I needed to get to know her. And I got to know her family and her friends. And of course I had to ask the hard question, like, uh, are you a Christian? And, uh, you, and I, as I looked at her life, does she have character? What about compatibility? The more we have in common, the less conflict we're going to have, so there's compatibility in that. There's also, what about her communication and conflict resolution skills? Can she talk? Can, can we interact? Can we have a relationship? 
And how about really understanding what covenant marriage is all about? So, so what, was, what was I doing? What would someone do? You're gathering evidence to see if you are convinced that this is the right decision. And, uh, and believe me, you know, I, I had a pretty high standard, but her standard was even higher than mine, and I barely squeaked by, okay? Uh, in fact, uh, I snuck in on, uh, she, was, she was not watching and very closely on her checklist, and somehow I was able to dupe her, and here we are. It'll be 44 years this, this year, so it's pretty amazing. She still hung with me through all this time. Yeah, praise God. By God's grace. By God's grace. And we both had these standards. What were we doing? You, as you gather the evidence, you are convinced that this is the right decision or the wrong decision. I've talked with people before where they, uh, the more they got to know that person, they go, that person is a psycho. Oh, and I'd say, yeah. Stay away from them. That's why you bring them around your family and friends. Because you know what happens when you fall in love? You lose, ha you lose half of your brains, okay? And you need someone else's brains to help you to see that because sometimes you just don't see that. It's just like, ah. And so that's all part of that. But that's, as you gather the evidence, you are convinced one way or the other whether that's a good decision or not. Now, here's the interesting thing as it relates to the Christian faith. The evidence surrounding the claims of Christianity is simply overwhelming, And I discovered that when I was in my high school years. I came out of a more of a Pentecostal background, more experiential. I loved it. It was the assembly of God. And yet there was aspects in that. I was like, okay, I, I need to know, is this historical, evidential, factual? Yes. And as I studied it, as, as uh, what's the guy's name that wrote uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Josh McDowell. So Josh McDowell set out to disprove his college uh, friends that uh, all this stuff is just up make-believe. And so he set out to disprove them, but as he says in his book, Resurrection Factor, he said the more evidence that he began to uncover, the more he realized that for him to deny the, the evidence that proved the validity and the veracity of not only the scriptures, but also this man, Christ Jesus, uh, for him to deny all that, he'd have to commit intellectual suicide, and a lot of people do that. They, just go, they deny Christianity without even doing the research. And I'm telling you, you do the research, and you're going to you're going to begin to go, oh, this, is, this would be dumb if I didn't give my life to Jesus. And uh, Norm Geisler wrote a book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And that's true. Because you have so much, you realize, oh, this is, this is like, a, this is a no-brainer. This is the direction you would obviously, obviously want to go. That's, that would be what you need to do. And... Um, and so, here's the next point in your notes. A faith based on Christ's word honors him more than a faith based on his miracles. That goes back to verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so there's a tendency for all of us, okay, God, I, I'm really struggling right now, my circumstances and, and the people in my life and, and my feelings, oh, my goodness, they're telling me everything opposite of what you've been telling me, but can you show me a sign? Can you show me a sign? And he would say, no, I've already shown you. I've already given you a sign. I've already revealed myself to you. Okay, I, I, I might have missed it on the test or whatever, God, but could you, could you kind of help me with that? Like, you know, maybe something could happen, you know, dramatically in my life, and therefore I, I'll really believe you. No, 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 I've already told you 
I've showed you, uh, I've revealed, I reveal myself to you every day through creation and, and conscience. And, and oh, by the way, I, I wrote a book. Did you know that? I wrote a book. It's number one bestseller. And if you'd get in that book a little bit more, then you would know for a fact that I really love you. In fact, I sent my son to die for you. And not only, not only do we know that uh, he exists by the fact that we can, we can th- know it through creation, conscience, commandments, but guess what? He showed up here. He came down to earth. God in human flesh, Jesus. By the way, listen to me. There's enough evidence, regardless of how your, may, your life may go from this point on. You don't need to have another sign or wonder to prove that God loves you. He cares for you. He will take care of you. That's it. Now, it's really nice when he gives us these tokens. I, I, know, I like tokens. I like things when he says and he does and and he works miracles and he certainly still does work miracles. I love his miracles. There's no doubt about it. But nothing can be, uh, nothing can really add to what he said, his word, his word. Now listen to what C.S. Lewis says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by sight not by feelings and circumstances. I got to tell you this story. I had a couple a number of years ago. Uh, they wanted me to do their wedding, and so I, I sat down with them, and I asked them, so what, what makes you think you should get married? What would kind of validate that for you? And they said to me, they were kind of fighting a little bit, and, uh, and they were telling me the story that they were fighting, and they were on his back porch, and as they were working through this conflict, there was a dove that came in and landed on the statue in their backyard. And they knew at that moment that they were supposed to get married. And I said, praise God. That's wonderful. Let's just get married right now. I didn't say that, okay. I'm thinking like, what in the world? And so I had to try to explain to them the difference between subjectivity and objectivity, and doves fly on statues quite regularly, you know, and that might not necessarily be a sign, but we probably should go to God's Word. You guys know the book, you know, the Bible. You guys know what the Bible do you have? Do you own a Bible? And here's the Bible. Uh, Let's go back to some basics. And so let's look at some criteria that the Bible lays out for what it would be for to have a good, healthy relationship. And so there's that tendency in our cultures that we tend to, and I see this in the Christian community too. We're always looking for, no, I'm telling you, we got enough info in the Bible. We're not even living up to the level of what it it has already revealed to us. And like I said, I'm not against signs. I'm not against tokens. God gives us some really wonderful tokens in our life. I appreciate that. But I always got to go back to his word, and and it can't go beyond what his word has already established for us Uh. So first, faith learns the truth. Second, faith is convinced of the truth. Third, faith acts on the truth. It acts on the truth. So you got head, heart, hands. You got content, conviction, commitment. And when you think of faith, always think head, heart, hands. Head, truth entering the head, igniting the heart, outworking through the hands. That's that's really, really what faith what faith is. And now, this is really amazing. When we go, let's go back to the story here. So Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. What? I mean, he's just like, yep, 
If it was me, I'd have said, no, 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 Jesus, okay, I got you. But you need to be there, okay? I'm not sure about this long-distance praying stuff. Would you just come with me right now? And we'll go and you can lay hands on my son and he'll be healed. No, he doesn't do that. Nor does he say, hey, Jesus, um, okay, you said it. I believe it. I'm not sure that that settles it, okay? So could you, like, do a little miracle right here? Like, uh, you see that mountain over there? Could you just light it on fire? And then I'll believe that, yeah, my son's healed. Or how about maybe you could have a whole flock of birds fly over our head right now. No, he doesn't do any of that. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That's what we need to do. That's what I want to be like. I believe his word. He spoke it. I believe it. I'm good with it. I'm going, on, going with that. That's what he does. Now, here's your next thought on your notes. Your beliefs will always determine your behavior. You can see this in the guy's life. He just goes on. He doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't doubt Jesus. And he went on his way. So faith without works is dead. It's not, it's not real faith. So beliefs will always determine your behavior. You don't like your behavior, you've got to go to your beliefs, change your beliefs. So how many have ever uh, gone to New York City and gone up into the Empire State Building? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. You guys don't travel much, do you? Okay, maybe you travel to other places and not there. And it's questionable whether you're going to ever travel there from this point on, but I understand that uh, because some of these big cities have gotten crazy. But a number of years ago, Nancy and I went to New York City. We went up into the Empire State Building. Very extremely cold day. It's one of those days it was like 10 degrees and uh, didn't get above about 10 degrees. And so we got up there, and the wind was blowing. It must have been blowing 50, 60 miles an hour up on the, uh, up on the top. And so... When we got out of the elevator and we went out there, I mean, uh, us and the people that we were with and everybody else, we were hugging the wall like this. And because it has a cage, but there's not a top to the cage, and it felt like that wind was so strong it could pick us up and throw us over the top of it. No, no, why, why did we do that? Why were we back like this, hugging the wall and not willing to? And, and I got kind of worked my way up there so I could take a picture of everything down below. And, uh, and why, why is that? Because we believe in gravity. Yeah, that's exactly why we did that. And uh, I, don't, I don't have to force myself to, to believe in gravity. I just believe in gravity, and my actions will always follow what I believe to be true. This last week, remember that windstorm that came through about on Wednesday? It was 60-mile-an-hour 60, 60 winds gusts. And so we had our signs out on the building, and they were just like whipping, and I thought they were going to be ripped off the side, so I got Jace, our youth pastor, and we climbed up in there, and he, he looked over the side of the building, he goes, wow, this is really high up there. And I go, yes, you better be very careful. And, uh, and so we got to sign up, and as we got to sign up, it was like a kite. He was on one end, I was on the other end, it was like, whoo, I let go of my end, and he took off over Black Canyon Freeway. <laughs> And we haven't been able to find him since. So we're going to need a new youth pastor. No, actually, he's gone. He just had a little baby boy. Yeah. And uh, so he'll be gone for a couple weeks. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy up there. So we rolled it up and bungeed it to, a, you know, one of those air conditioning units. And now we're missing an air conditioning unit. 
And so, no, it was just crazy, the wind, and then it was high up. He was looking over and says, man, this is pretty high up. We could, yeah, gravity. I respect gravity. I believe in gravity. I'm very careful with what I do. And so here's the next point on your notes. There's a difference between affirming right beliefs and living right beliefs. See, my actions will always follow what I believe to be true, reality. But there is a difference between affirming right beliefs and living right beliefs. In churches, we get people to affirm beliefs even though they don't believe in it like they believe in gravity. Let me give you an illustration here. If I say that God is love and his, his love, his perfect love is better than life, and I get that right on a theology test, but I'm actually a jerk in my relationships with other people, then I don't really believe that. How about this one? If someone as wise and powerful as God loves me, gave his life for me, promised to never leave me or forsake me, then why, why in the world, if that is all true, then why in the world would I ever get anxious, envious, angry, or depressed? Because I don't believe that. I don't believe it like gravity. It should be second nature to me. As I walk with God, as I get to know him, as I love him, as I experience him in my life, bad things happen. It's just like, yep, he's got, my, he's got my back covered. He loves me. He's always got my best interest. I'm going to get through this. Yeah, you might have a level of anxiety or whatever, which would be normal, but inordinate anxiety, anger, depression, any of those things, what's going on? Could be a lot more going on physiologically. It needs to be addressed, certainly. But oftentimes we don't actually believe a lot of the things that we say we believe. And so you can be affirming right beliefs and not be living right beliefs. And living right beliefs is more than just doing the right kind of things, but it's being the right kind of person. That's your next fill in the blank. There's a difference between doing the right kind of things and being the right kind of person. So we're not just saying do the right things. See, the Pharisees were about getting people to do the right things, doing. Jesus is about getting people to, to be the right kind of people. It's about being. If you're the right kind of people, you will automatically do the right kind of things. So we often think of a transformed person in light of spiritual disciplines. Oh, man, they're really transformed. Look at them. They go to church. They read their Bible. They do all of these things. In Jesus' day, if you measured people's spiritual maturity based on spiritual disciplines, then who would have come out on top? The Pharisees. They were really very disciplined, very spiritual, so to speak. But a transformed person has a sincere love for God and others. Now listen to me. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, on 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. If your theology isn't increasing your capacity to experience more of God's love and give love to God and love others. I mean, think about this. If, if your growth and your understanding of God's word isn't just giving you this ferocious love for God and others, you either have bad theology or you just have a said faith. You're not living that out. You're not experiencing him. It, it's more about being. Do you know him? Are you walking with him? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. 
That's how you know you're on track. You're becoming that person that's just, just fascinated, captivated by the grace of God. That's one thing I've, I've never gotten over is his grace, that I would have his favor, his love every day, that I can interact with him, I can know him, I can experience him in my life. That's amazing. So faith learns the truth. Faith is convinced of the truth. Faith acts on the truth. Head, heart, hands, content, conviction, commitment. Here's the last one. Faith matures through suffering. Oh, boy, I knew he was going to get there. And this is what brings about Christ-likeness. Now, let me end, end the story here, verses 51 through 54. Listen to what it says. And as he was going down, his servants met him. So this is the official. His servants met him and told him that, that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get, get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left. And the man knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So when Jesus said that, he looked at his clock and then later on when they told him, he says, yeah, that was the exact time. Because everybody knows they had wristwatches in those days. No, they, they were able to obviously be able to tell the time, sundials, all those kind of things. But what's fascinating about it, this was the next day. 25 miles is probably a long ways to hike. He might have spent the night there, maybe he had a business meeting, but it just shows you his faith more than anything. Because for me, I would have run 25 miles to get home to make sure my son was okay. But he doesn't do that because of his faith. He just knows, knows that God's going to heal him. And sure enough, it was the exact same time. Now notice what it says here. And he, he himself believed in all of his household. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought he was already believing. Yes, yes, yes. But, but even more so, he's put his faith in Jesus. There's, a, there's truly a conversion that has taken place. He in his household. And this is... This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea of Galilee. So he got a physical healing with his son. But listen to me. He got a spiritual healing. Him and his family got a spiritual healing. Now let me ask you this. What's better, physical healing or spiritual healing? Spiritual. Oh, my goodness. This is even better. Yeah, his son was healed, but this was even better. There was something that went on in his life because he could have very easily said, oh, okay, my son's healed, so enough of that Jesus guy. Got what I wanted. Let's just move on. And people do that. But there was something that happened in his heart. And I think, I think the, the wonderful message of the gospel is that what we have been looking for and longing for is what Jesus offers. He experienced that. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips in on Jesus. This is it. I'm going for him. That's what he was saying, basically. He got saved. He became a full-blown full believer in him. So the, so the setting in which this is happening is, is suffering. And what would possess a man of his stature and royalty to walk 25 miles to see this, this Jesus? Here's the next point on your notes. Some people see the light and come to Christ, and others need to feel the heat to come to Christ. This man would have never come to Jesus unless he had suffering in his life. Okay, quick survey here. I did this in our Game of Life class, and it was about 50-50. How many by show of hands would say that you saw the light 
And that's why you came to Christ. You saw the light, you came to Christ, saw the light, saw the light, saw the light. Yeah, so seeing the light is, it's self-authenticating. I don't need to tell you that the sun is hot and bright. Just take you out there and you experience that. And you saw the light. You saw the light in the sense that, yeah, he is the Savior. He does love me. Oh, my goodness, no one has ever loved me. This is what I've been looking and longing for my whole life. You saw the light, you responded, you came to faith. How many had to feel the heat to come to faith in Christ? Feel the heat, feel the heat, okay. Okay, cool. Now, some of you did not raise your hand. And I'm really, some of you raised both hands back there. But some of you didn't raise your hand, and they got me concerned. Do you even know Jesus? I'm going to bring the heat on you right now, okay? Just to see if you, you're going to com commit your life to Christ. I'm kidding. No, but there were those that, in all the services just like, not really sure, but the, here's, the, here's the bottom line. Do you know him now? Rega regardless of whether you saw the light or felt the heat. Do you know him? Have you given your life to him? That's, that's what's important, more than anything. Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep his word. Psalm 119.71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So those of you that felt the heat and came to Jesus, praise God. It was good for you to be afflicted. Praise God. Because now you have something even better, and you would never go back like it was before because of what you've experienced as a result of that. You've experienced Christ. Whatever suffering you are going through, bring it to Jesus. He knows, he cares, he rules, and that's more than enough. It's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. This man allowed his, his suffering to press him near the heart of Jesus. Let it do that. In your life. Here's the next one. When the things we rely on for meaning and identity are shaken, then we are shaken. Suffering shows us how we have put our faith in things far less reliable than God. So let me ask you this. What are you building your life on? You're building your life on your brains, your looks. You do know they're fading. I know that because I'm 44 years old. You weren't supposed to laugh that loud. How about career? You're building it on your career injury or downturn economy can take that away from you in a heartbeat just like that. I've seen that happen. How about a relationship? You look to that person to, to find your meaning in life, and they're looking to you to find that meaning in life, and guess what? It's not going to happen. But here's what's even crazy about that. Even if you have a lifelong relationship, eventually one of you is going to die. Now, that's a cheerful thought. Thank you, Pastor Ray, for that reminder. That's the truth. The things you're building your life on other than Christ are sandcastles and the tide is rising. And yet you need to know, it tells us in Hebrews 12, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. There's only one thing that cannot be shaken. That's the kingdom of God. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that's the reason why the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Here's the last one, gospel logic. This is where we end. So here's gospel logic. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? So let me ask you this question as it relates to really understanding uh, the gospel. What was your worst problem? Eternal separation from God. That was your worst problem. 
What's the best thing God ever did for you? Reconcile you to himself by sending his son to die in your place for your sin. What's the greatest thing he's ever given to you? Himself. What this is telling us in in Romans 8, 31 and 32, if he took care of your worst problem, he's got all of your other problems taken care of. If he didn't spare his own son to take care of your worst problem, he's not going to spare anything else in taking care of every other issue that you face. Do you hear that? That's called gospel logic. I share that with people regularly, whether they're battling cancer or struggles with finances or anything else. I tell them, hey, he took care of your worst problem. He's going to take care of all your other problems. You can trust him. You can trust his love. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, hell will he not also along with him? Freely give us all things. Listen, he always has your best interest at heart, regardless of what it looks like. Your circumstances, your feelings, it doesn't matter. He's always, always has your best interest at heart. How many have ever played poker before? How many play poker? Played poker? Show of hands. Y'all are going to hell. Okay. We didn't play poker growing up. My wife played a lot of poker, and I saved her from being a poker player. No, but later on, we started playing poker and enjoyed playing poker. And when I had a winning hand, I didn't have that poker face. I was more like this. <laughs> you guys are all going down. I got the winning hand here. And they were all, you know, throwing their cards in and all that. And, uh, but here, here's the thing that I want you to understand as it relates to uh, our lives, everybody's lives. Everyone is betting their life in eternity on something or someone. And if you're betting your life on Jesus, you have a winning hand and you don't need to be uptight and nervous. You just enjoy the game. And no need for a poker face. Let the world know about what you have in him. Man, if God is for us, who can be against us? Just to walk that out in your life, that is, that's absolutely amazing. Next weekend, we're going to talk about soul rest, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Um, if you are here, you've made a confession of faith or would like to make a confession of faith this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you do that. And, uh, of course, the next step is to get baptized. We're going to do a baptism party on uh, Easter weekend, and so we're going to do a 10 to 15-minute class right up here to my left, your right. We'll do that class here this morning. You can sign up for one of, those, one of our services to be baptized. My wife and I... Uh, along with any available elders, we'll be up front here at the end of the service. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you. And so let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, we pray for those who need to, to make a confession of faith in you, that they would acknowledge their sin that separates them from you. Believe, believe that your son, their Savior, died in their place for their sins and confess him as Savior and Lord. Give their life to him. Pray that they would do that now. And may we be people of faith that learn the truth about the person and work of Christ Jesus. And may we be convinced more than ever that if he is for us, no one or nothing can stand against us. And may we daily act on that truth so that 
that when we face suffering, it would mature us, making us deeper and stronger and wiser and more full of love for you and others. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.